0: What's up? Element Church, so glad that all of you are here with us today. I do want to say hello to our video audience as well. So, if you're using Facebook Live, watching on uh, Church Online, uh, please use the share buttons like you have been. You are spreading the word, literally thousands of people uh, checking us out online, which is awesome. And if you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. Uh, So glad that you're with us today as well. I do want to take a moment and just say thank you uh, to anyone who took the challenge seriously leading up to Easter and invited somebody to come to Easter service or shared uh, the social media posts that we had online. Because if you don't know this, um, outside of the little invite cards that we purchased, that we made, and then a couple social media posts, we did not spend $1 on marketing or advertising for Easter. So everybody who came last week came because you invited them or shared it on social media. So great job. Keep it up. The power of social media blows my mind. The power of relationship is really uh, where it's all at. So make sure and keep on inviting people uh, to come to Element Church. You guys did a fantastic job with that. Today we're starting to brand-new sermon series called This Is Us. And in this series, we're going to walk through the core values we have as a church. Every one of the symbols uh, that are behind me here on the platform uh, correspond with a core value that you'll see on our signs all throughout the building. Some of them kind of mean something. Some of them don't mean anything. They're just graphically cool. Uh, But every one of them corresponds with what you'll see out in the lobby on our core value signs. And values really are what define us. They are guardrails, if you will, that keep us on mission, keep us on point when it comes to following Jesus in our lives. But values are so much more than just the words we say. They're the way we live, born out of what we believe, because of who God is. And I recognize that not everyone here today uh, believes in God, not everyone here follows God, and so maybe you won't choose to apply these values to your uh, personal life, and you certainly have the freedom to do that. It won't affect our love for you at all. I, I mean that. I just hope that you know these things we're walking through in the series, these are values for us so, so my prayer is, I think our prayer is, while, while not everyone who calls Element Church their home is going to live out these values every day, we're definitely not going to live them out to perfection. I, I think for, for all of us, we, we want uh, people to hear these core values and then look at the way we live as a church, what we stand for, how we minister, and we want you to be able to say about us without, with, with all certainty that this is us. This is who we are as a church. Now, values are an incredibly tricky thing because values need to be more than just aspirational statements. It's got to be more than just, this is how we hope to live. They also need to be applicational, that this is how we are living. Values need to be something we are living out in our lives because it doesn't take much to expose us on our values, right? doesn't take much for for someone to reveal a value as just a word we say and not the way we live if we're not going to live them out. For instance, going to hopefully have a little bit of fun with this today, I'm going to give you some core values from some companies, real core values. From real companies, I'm not going to tell you the company first, I'll give you the values, then I'll share the company, and you can decide whether or not they, um, are, th- these are really core values to them or not. This first company, I'm, I'm changing one word in each of their core values, because if I, if I use the word that's in it, it'll, it'll give it away. So I changed the word, I'll tell you what it is here in a second. Here's the company number one, three core values is this. Number one, we are friendly. Warm and welcoming is who we are. Number two, we do it right. We hold ourselves to the highest standards in safety and reliability. We earn trust by doing things the right way and delivering on our commitment. We are together. We respect every voice, communicate openly and honestly, make decisions with facts and empathy, and celebrate our journey together. So we're friendly. We do it right. We we are together. We have empathy for every voice. Any guesses on what this company is? I'll change, I'll change one word, I'll tell you the word I removed, and it's gonna reveal it right away. So the one word I removed from each value is the word fly. We fly friendly, we fly right, and we fly together. You now guess it, it is what? United Airlines. They added a fourth core value, we'll break your nose as well. That was mean. That was mean, I'm sorry. But I had to say it, right? So, so here, here's the next company. Um, for some of you young ones in the room, this, this was probably before you were even born, if you're really young. Uh, but for those of us who are, are seasoned like myself, uh, you'll know uh, this company when I tell you what it is. Here's their three core values. Communication. We have an obligation to communicate. Respect. We treat others as we would like to be treated. almost sounds biblical, right? Then Integrity. We work with customers and prospects openly, honestly, and sincerely. This company is Enron. In case you don't know, okay, why people are laughing, because Enron was an energy commodities and service company that in 2001, it was revealed that they were committing institutionalized, systematic, and creative planned accounting fraud now known of as the Enron scandal. In fact, at the height of their company, Enron had 20,000 employees. Today they no longer exist because they didn't live out their core values. Just didn't live them out. Core values are only as valuable as the way we live, right? They're not really a value unless you live it. Now, I'm observant enough, to know what somebody's already thinking this, I'm observant enough to understand that not everyone who works for United Airlines drugged that poor guy off the plane, right? Not everyone did that. Not all 20,000 employees at Enron knew what their company was doing. They, they weren't all committing accounting fraud, right? But do you see with just two examples the power of what just a handful of people can do to an entire organization? Do you see that? That was just a, a handful of people who didn't live out the core values of their organization. The entire organization suffered. In one case, it brought it literally to its knees. United Airlines stock was plummeting after all this news. It might still be plummeting. I don't know. But, I mean, they're taking a hit because they didn't live out the core values of their organization. And listen, the same's true with the church. Let me, let me go broader. The same's true with Christianity. Let me put it that way. Because even one of the most influential people in history was turned off to the Christian faith, not because of Jesus, but because of Jesus' followers. Mahatma Gandhi, one of the most influential people in our history, in our world's history, was approached by some missionaries in India who were telling him about Jesus. And Mahatma Gandhi is recorded saying this to these missionaries, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Wow. So these values we have here at Element Church, they're really not just values for our church. They are, but it's more than that. They're values for us as individual followers of Jesus as well in the church because these values are really born out of the scripture, born out of God's word. So again, we pray that when people hear these core values, that they would see it applied to how we live, what we stand for, who we are as a church, who we are as individuals followers of Jesus, that they would not just be the words we say, but the way we live, born out of what we believe because of who our God is. So here's the very first core value. Uh, There's six values we have here at Element Church, and really all of them, I feel, uh, are are kind of uh, riding on this one. This is the foundational value for our church. I would say it's the most important value for our church, it's the big idea as well today. So, if you want to write it down, uh, you can't on the screens. And it's this: obedience is our success. That success will not be determined by outcome, but by our obedience to God. Success will not be determined by outcome, but by our obedience to God. It's a core value for us here in the church. That means, uh, for corporately, that means corporately whatever God asks us to do as a church, we will do it to the best of our ability. And we'll leave the results up to God. Amen? 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 We're going to do it to the best of our ability, right? And leave the results up to God. Because we cannot control results as a church. All we can control is what we do for, for God when he calls us to do it. So let me set it up with this, with, with this question. What if last Sunday, Easter Sunday, what if on Easter Sunday, no one put their faith in Jesus and we had a, a normal average attendance of around thirteen to 1,500 people, no one put their faith in Jesus, 1,500 people attended church instead of 2,500, would it still have been a success? Absolutely. If, if we did what God told us to do to the best of our ability, because only God can provide the results. That's corporately, Okay. Individually, our desire is that we as followers of Jesus would be faithful to God in our public and our private lives, obeying his word and his ways above all other things, that obedience is our success. And this value really comes from one conversation in the Bible between King David and his son Solomon. King David, the same David that slayed Goliath, uh, at, at the end of his life was handing off the baton of leadership to his son Solomon, the next king. And David told Solomon this, 1 Kings 2, verse 3. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you'll be successful in all you do and wherever you go. And here's the thing. I don't think King David was telling Solomon that if you obey, God will bring you success. I think David was telling Solomon, obedience is your success, That when you obey, you will be successful in whatever you do and wherever you go. That obedience is your success because we can't leverage God with our obedience, right? We can't. That's called legalism, by the way. Legalism says, I'm gonna get God to respond to me by what I do. So I'm gonna obey God, but then I'll say something like, Hey, God, I did what you said. Where's my reward? Why have you not made me successful? But obedience doesn't bring success. Obedience is our success. That as followers of Jesus, we obey in response to what God has already done for us. Our obedience is born out of love, not legalism. We are responding to God giving himself to us, not obeying in order to get God to respond. To us, that our number one goal in leadership, our number one goal in life, obedience is our success. So, if success is not determined by outcome but by our obedience to God, if obedience is our success, here's the big question: I think we af- have to ask today, what does successful obedience look like? What does successful obedience look like? If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. That's where we're going to be today. In the Bible, Luke is the third book in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, and then, and then Luke. If you didn't bring a Bible, no worries. All of it's going to be on the screens there. And if you came without owning one, uh, we'll give you one for free. If you ask for one at guest services, don't leave without a Bible uh, tonight. Here's a little background to where we're at here. Here in Luke 22, this is the final night that Jesus would spend with his disciples. So what we're about to read is setting up what we now call the Last Supper, The disciples did not know it was the Last Supper. They were having another meal with Jesus. We call it that because it was really his Last Supper with the disciples before he was arrested, crucified for our sins, and then rose on the third day. We're going to read all seven verses, and we're going to see three things that successful obedience looks like. So Luke 22, starting in verse 7. Let's read all of it. I'll make one comment here along the way. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. I want to let you know why this is so important. Okay, The Passover meal is, it was at that time, and still is to Jewish people, the most important meal of the year for someone in the Jewish faith. Passover was the time that they celebrated, that they remembered when God led them out of slavery in Egypt. They had been in slavery for over 400 years, and so Passover celebrated that time when God rescued them from slavery. He sent Charlton Heston in to lead them out of Egypt, right? Part of the Red Sea, old old guys, old people get that, and they walked through the Red Sea, part of it walked through, and they went to the Promised Land. So at 33 years old, this was the 33rd time time that Jesus had participated in the Passover meal, and the same was true for these disciples. It was a big, big deal. Biggest meal, biggest celebration of the year. So here's what happened. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you, follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asked, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that's already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city, found everything, just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So success is not determined by outcome, but by our obedience to God. So three things successful obedience looks like. Number one is this. It responds rapidly. That successful obedience responds rapidly. That the disciples, they just simply did what Jesus said. They just did it. They didn't ask any questions. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know there are plenty of times in the Bible the disciples did not act with faith, right? Right? There's plenty of times they, they put their foot in their mouth, they did something stupid, they tested the patience of Jesus, but not this time. This, this wasn't one of those times. They simply, at least Peter and John, this go and do what he says. Now, don't miss this, okay? Don't miss this. It's super easy for us just to read this and think, duh, they did what Jesus said, and go right on by, but I want you to think about what Jesus was asking them to do. Like, put yourself in the shoes of Peter and John. Because not only did he say, go and prepare the Passover meal, which was no easy task in and of itself. we're, We're not talking about, you know, making a reservation at the local kosher chilies. We're talking about specific food prepared in specific ways for at least 13 people, Jesus and the 12 disciples. And if the meal wasn't hard enough, he told them, remember, go into the town and you'll see a guy carrying a pitcher of water follow that guy to the house he goes into, go into the house, tell the owner of the house, the teacher wants to use your guest room for the Passover meal. He will then take you to his guest room where it's all set up for you to have a meal with me. Does anyone else read that and think, what? That's weird, right? That's That's like way out there. So I don't know about you, but as I'm reading this, put myself in their shoes. I might have had some questions. I don't know about you. I might have had a few questions, a whole list of them. I would have pulled out my eye scroll. Get it, my eye scroll. I would pull out my eye scroll, and I was like, "Okay, okay, GS, I got. Uh, it's awesome. You want me to go do that? I got some questions. So let me let me get this straight. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm clear before I go do this. You want me to go into town? and I'm gonna just see, happen to see a guy, just one guy." carrying a pitcher of water, and you want me to follow him to the house he goes into. Not creepy at all, Jesus, not creepy at all, but I'll do it. Like I'll go there, and then when I get to the house, knock on the door, and tell the owner of the house, hey, um, don't know if you have a guest room or not. You do. Okay, good. Okay, this is going to be super weird, but uh, Jesus sent me to your house, and uh, he's been kind of off his rocker lately, so if it's really, if if it's not... If you don't have a guest room and don't want us to use it, it's fine. But uh, Jesus said that he wants us to eat the meal in your guest room. And so uh, can we eat the meal? And he takes them to the guest room. And it's, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Like it actually, it actually happened. So if I, if, I was, if I was there asking Jesus those questions, I would think, Jesus, have you been in Colorado recently? <laughs> like, been in the sun too long? Uh, is your energy depleted? I, was, I could go to the King of Kings Supers and. I got them, man. I got them all night. Get you a Red Bull or something, right? But no, they didn't, they didn't even ask the questions. They didn't even ask for a sign. Like if it was me, maybe I would ask for a sign. Like, send the owner of the house to me. Then I'll go. Put a sign on the outside, reserved for Peter and John. Then, you know, then I'll know it's from, No, no, they, they just went. Verse 13 tells us they went off to the city and found everything, just as Jesus has said. They found the guy with the pitcher, they followed him to a house, they told the owner we're supposed to use this guest room, and he took him to the room and it was all set up. That's flat crazy. But as much of an example of obedience as Peter and John is, I think the owner of the house might be an even greater example of obedience. Now, I don't I don't know this for sure. I'm reading between the lines here, okay? So I'm conjecturing, just asking questions. But why was the room already set up? It was a guest room, not a dining room. On top of that, why did he allow them to use it? There was no indication they knew this guy at all. So possible theory, again, I'm, I'm just throwing out suggestions. I'm in no way saying that this is the case. But what if that morning this owner of the home Just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. Set up your guest room for a Passover meal for 13 people. And this afternoon, someone's going to come and ask you to use it. And he did it. What if that happened? I mean, Peter and John, at least they had Jesus in the flesh asking them. What did this guy have? A feeling? An impression? A still small voice? Whatever it was, he responded rapidly as did the disciples, and time and time again in the story of Scripture. Read it for yourself. There are countless people who simply listened to God and did what he said. Just listened to God and did what he said. They responded rapidly. So if successful obedience responds rapidly, what does unsuccessful obedience look like? I'm going to tell you what it looks like and then hang with me. Don't get mad until I explain it, okay? Here's what unsuccessful obedience looks like. I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. Be very careful, okay? But I'll pray about it is one of the most common excuses Christians give for putting off obedience to God. Because let me tell you, you don't need to pray about what God has already said you should do or not do. You don't need to pray about it. If he's already said it, you simply do it or stop doing it if that's what he's already said. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times that we need to pray through some things to figure out if this is the will of God. I just believe too many times prayer has become the Christian way of telling God, not now, I'm kind of busy. Not now, I'm I'm pretty comfortable. Not now, God, I got my life figured out. I don't really need you right now. We might eventually obey, but it's delayed obedience You know what delayed obedience is? Disobedience. (laughs) So my prayer coming into this message, my prayer right now, even as I'm speaking this, I'm trying to also pray at the same time. I'm praying, God, would you just give someone the courage to do what they already know they should do? I, I hope my voice right now is confirmation for someone in this room that you already know what God said. You're just not doing it. And it's time for you to do it. To respond rapidly. Success is not determined by outcome, but by our obedience to God. And we saw in Peter and John, perhaps we see in the owner of the house, it responds rapidly. So the second thing successful obedience looks like is this. It risks reputation. You want to obey God, you'll risk your reputation. Because obeying the message of Jesus won't always make sense to those who don't know Jesus, even sometimes for those who do know Jesus. You'll risk your reputation at times to be obedient to God. Now, please understand something. This is going to be big for somebody. That God will never ask you to do, nor will he approve of you doing what he has already stated in his word you shouldn't do. Got it? God's voice to your heart never trumps his already spoken word. So don't go around telling people that you don't have to obey that part of the Bible because God said you didn't. It doesn't work that way. God's word trumps what you think his voice is saying, okay? So while he'll never ask you to do something contrary to his word, he will ask us to do things contrary to the world. And when we live our lives contrary to the world, we will risk our reputation to do that. Risk our reputation. Peter and John, at least for a moment, risked some reputation, right? They had to look like crazy people doing what they did. Like imagine, imagine if you went home tonight, okay? Or we'll make it daylight so it's not nearly as creepy, although it's pretty creepy. Imagine tomorrow afternoon you're, you're at home and someone comes and knocks on your door. You open the door and they're like, okay, hey, um, whew. we're out of breath because here's the thing. Hold on, don't shut the door. Okay, here's the thing. Um, we followed your son home. Okay, because I know it sounds weird. Don't call the cops yet. Uh, we followed your son home because we saw him at King Super's with a gallon of milk. And Jesus told us when you see somebody with a gallon of milk, you follow him home. So we followed your son home because he had milk, right? So we followed him home and he came here. Now we're here at your house. And here's the thing Jesus said that just to ask, are you the owner? You're the owner. Okay, good. He said ask the owner of the house, do you have a guest room? So do you have a guest room? Awesome. Okay, get a guest room. Okay, and then he said that you're supposed to set the whole guest room up and we're going to use it for a meal, right? What would happen if that happened to you tomorrow? Right, you'd slam the door in their face and maybe call the police. And then you'd open up the window, snap a picture, put it on Facebook, and let the whole world know, if you see this person, don't open your door. They are C-R-A-Z. They're out of their minds. Right? They are out of their minds. But Peter and John did it. They risked their reputation to go and do what Jesus said. This totally random task had no eternal value, right? But they did it anyway. And then back to the owner of this house. We don't know anything about him. This is is like one of my favorite Bible characters right now because we don't know anything about him, yet he's got this giant role in this important story in in Scripture. We don't know why the room was set up. If this room was set up and ready to go, most likely he spent all day doing it. Right? Think of your guest room at home, if you had to change it into a dining room for 13 people. That takes some time, right? We don't know why he did. Was someone else planning on using it? Was he simply obeying the voice of God? What if he set up the room and nobody showed up? So, so what did the guy with the pitcher of water think about his master? Because most likely the guy with the pitcher of water was a servant. So what were these servants and hired hands saying or thinking about, saying to their owner as he was setting up this room? Sir, what are you doing? What what are you doing? I'm setting up the guest room for the Passover meal. Well, sir, no one's coming over. Why would you do that? Oh, because Jesus is coming over. Jesus? Like the same guy that raised Lazarus from the dead? The same guy that the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, the next king of Israel. That Jesus is coming to our house. Why would you think Jesus is coming to our house? Because God told me. We tight, man. We're together, me and God. It's all good, man. Why would God tell you that? Did he also tell you I need a raise? Because that would be awesome, right? (laughs) Success is not determined by outcome. I'm going to add something to it. Or even the outlook of other people. Even people that you love who are telling you you're crazy for following this Jesus. That's not success. Success is being obedient to God. So when it comes to our church, when it comes to our lives, are we going to be willing to risk our reputation in order to be faithful, obedient to the call of God and the call of God for our church? It's to be a life-giving movement of people having such an impact that if we were gone, we'd be missed. So for us, no surprise to any of you, I don't think, we are going to continue to take risks like I Heart Wyoming when God brings those up. If you don't know what I Heart Wyoming is, it's this year. We have started an initiative where we are literally giving away $100,000 to churches around our state to go out and serve their communities in tangible ways. And here's what's super cool. Last time I gave you an update, we had one partner church. As of today, we have three partner churches in iHeart Wyoming, which is awesome. It's incredible. So we have uh, Restoration Church in Casper. Uh, Just this last week, we sent a $10,000 check uh, to New Life Church in Gillette, Wyoming. And here's what they're doing. Uh, They are putting on a prom uh, for um, mentally handicapped adults. Yeah, it's amazing. Put on a prom for them. And so... Uh, they're 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 providing prom dresses and tuxes and makeup and hair and a red carpet and taking all the chairs out of the auditorium. They're bringing a the DJ in and then they have uh, some of their church volunteers they're gonna be partnered up with uh, with these mentally handicapped adults and they're gonna um, be their dates for the night. Unbelievable! There's a bus coming in from Sheridan with other uh, other adults who are coming to this prom as well. Unbelievable! We're partnering now. Our third church is Illuminate Church in uh, Sheridan, Wyoming, and they're not even launched yet. They are pre-launch, a church plant, and we are giving them a check for $10,000 to serve their community in a tangible way. And listen, we will continue to take risks like this so that not our reputation is built up, but the reputation of God's church is built up in the state of Wyoming. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So maybe a risk you need to take. Yeah. Maybe a risk that you need to take is baptism. Twenty-nine people got saved last week, which means there's 29 people that should get baptized, <laughs> at least. So next Sunday, May 3rd, or April 30th, and then May 7th, uh, we have baptism in every service. And here's why you should get baptized, okay? Here's why you should, because Jesus said we should. Matthew 28, he said, "Go in the world, make, make, go into the, all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you've put your faith in Jesus but never been baptized... It's time to take that step of obedience. Risk reputation, going public with your faith. Sign up at, guest, uh, at Next Steps Wall. You can sign up on our church website as well. I got to get moving. Number three, respond rapidly, risk reputation. Number three, obedience requires resources. I'm not going to ask for money, okay? I promise. Obedience always costs something, always. Might cost reputation, might cost time, might cost relationship, might cost money. Let's go back to the owner of this house again, my favorite character in the story. Again, nothing was said about why the room was set up, why he allowed the disciples to use it. Let's just assume it was truly a guest room, as we read, and not, any, not used for any other purpose. So how long did it take to set up that room? So it cost him time to set the room. Let's say it, maybe it was a rental place, an inn or a, a banquet facility. Did, they, did he lose rental income? Did he set up the room for for someone else and he threw them out so Jesus could use it? Was his family going to use it? We don't know. Most important meal of the year to a Jewish family, perhaps his family was coming over and now his whole family had to go find another place for the meal. One act of obedience potentially cost this man time, money, relationship, reputation, comfort. Successful obedience always costs something requires resources. For Jesus, it cost him what? His life. His life. So this whole story we're reading here is setting up one of the greatest lessons, one of the most ultimate examples of successful obedience we've ever seen. It's Jesus giving his body, his blood for us. Remember, they, they went to this room to have the Passover meal, and as As they're having this last Passover meal, Jesus institutes what we now call communion, okay? This is where communion started right here in this story. And and as Jesus was doing this, let let me let you know what was going through the disciples' minds. Here's what Passover was. Passover was the celebration of what God did back in Egypt hundreds of years prior When he led the people of Israel out of slavery. And what happened was he sent Moses, he brought Moses in and he did all these different plagues. Pharaoh did not let the people go. And so God said, I'm going to do one more plague. I'm going to kill the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. I'm going to send the death angel in. And he told the people of Israel, I want you tonight to sacrifice a lamb. I want you to take the blood of that lamb. I want you to put it on the doorpost, the frame of your house. And tonight when the death angel comes through, he will see the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and he will pass over your house. That's why it's called Passover. Recognizing not killing the firstborn in that home because those people belong to God. And now Jesus is about to break bread and have a cup of wine with the disciples saying, this is my blood that will now not be shed on the doorframe of your house. It will be shed on your heart. So that now when the death angel, when death comes by, it will look at my blood on your heart and it cannot do anything to you for it will know that one belongs to God. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So here's what happened, Luke 22, 19 and 20. He took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. That had to be mind-blowing to them. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. No longer the blood of a lamb. Now the blood of the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This blood's poured out as a sacrifice for you. The ultimate example of successful obedience. He gave his life for us. Why? So we could have his life. So that the death angel will pass over our hearts because our life is hidden in Christ. Isn't that amazing? So today we're gonna receive communion. Here in just a moment, we're going to receive communion, what Jesus started hundreds of years ago. I'm going to pray here in a moment. The ushers will then come forward, and they're going to pass out some trays of bread and juice. We just want you to take one piece of bread, one cup of juice. If you don't want to take communion, you don't have to. You don't have to be a member either to take communion. Um, You just want to be in a right relationship with Jesus as the Bible directs. And if you're not, if you don't currently believe in Jesus, you can put your faith in him right now and then celebrate communion. You can say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the lamb that shed his blood for my sins. You rose from the dead, so I put my faith in you, confess all my sins to you. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of the way I've lived. I'm going to follow you now. Thanks for loving me. I'll do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. Right with that prayer, with your confession, you can have forgiveness of sins and receive communion as a believer in Jesus. I'm going to pray. When I say amen, the band's going to sing a great song, The Great I Am. You can worship with us if you want to, Uh, but you can receive the bread and juice whenever you're ready. And uh, so ushers, when I I say amen, you can go ahead and, and pass out those elements. God, you're so good. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for this just super cool story hidden in the gospel of Luke about the obedience of Peter and John, the obedience of this owner of the home, and really the obedience of you, Jesus, that you give your life for us. That you are the lamb that shed its blood, on our hearts, so that death will pass over us. We can have your life. Thanks, God. In Jesus' name, amen.